Our scripture reading today is from Matthew 21, verses 12 through 17. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indigent. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And he left them and went out to the city of Bethany where he spent the night. This is God's word. I'd like to invite up Dale Edwards and once more just um, give him a warm welcome. Dale has been um, such a faithful presence in our region of the American Baptist Church. And I don't think I would be at this church had it not been for Dale, who um, I think I've shared the story. But when I was searching for a position somewhere, I talked to him and I explained that I wasn't really looking for a church to pastor, but I... (laughs) was looking for some type of uh, ministry position, and he said, well, there's, there's really not a lot of large churches in Vermont with multiple staff, but I'll, I'll see if anything good comes up. And about a week later, Colin Conger called me and said, hey, we'd like you to um, interview for this job. So I'm thankful to Dale and how he's also been a mentor to me and to many. So let's listen to what Dale has to say from God's word today. Tyler, thank you. Well, thank you, Tyler. Thank you. Yeah, I I was reminded this morning that Tyler and Meg have been with you now for eight years. Wow, that's wonderful. And uh, as Tyler can say, I was known to talk to people for years um, (laughs) about a call to Vermont, New Hampshire. Um, I'm retiring, and uh, I've got a few more uh, preaching stops to make, and then I'll be totally retired. And uh, just to dispel rumors, you know, I had a heart attack two years ago. It did more damage than what was initially thought, so by God's leading and assurance, we uh, decided to wind down this season of ministry a little sooner after almost 12 years. So thank you for inviting me. This is officially my last stop in Vermont. I'm glad I'm way up here in the northwest corner. Um, I um, was a local church pastor of the same church for 25 years before God intervened in that time and said, you got another call to leave a 25-year pastorate to go and work with 150-plus churches scattered across two states. Because what sane, what sane person gives up the headaches of one church for 151? I, you know, that's, just, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, because no cra- you've got to be a little crazy to do this. 
but it's been a great privilege to drive across two states, be in a different church every Sunday for um, well over 11 years. But I have to tell you, when I was the local church pastor, there were things that would occur that would just drive me crazy. I mean, I don't know about you, you're, if you're all churchy people, you'll get what I'd say. If you ever sat at a church committee meeting and thought to yourself, what in the world does this have to do with the kingdom of God? Seriously, I mean, I was a pastor. I couldn't, you know, get up and leave the room or scream and say I resigned, I'm never coming back, or, or in a worst case scenario, I certainly couldn't tip the table over thought crossed my mind. But I remember sitting at one church committee meeting one night where the committee was planning a, uh, a fundraiser. It was a dinner. It was going to, a ham and bean dinner. And they're going to raise money for church camp scholarships. Worthwhile thing, right? Well, the committee fell into an argument about the coleslaw recipe. I sat there for 45 minutes and listened to what should have been mature Christian people argue about whether or not you put apples or raisins in the coleslaw. (laughs) Now, if you've been around church life, you know that's a true story. We laugh at it. Finally, I got so disgusted, I said, you know, man, just 45, after 45 minutes of this, put them both in. I don't care. Put in the raisins. Put in the apples. Put in anything you want. Let's just move this thing along. But in 28 years of pastoral ministry and in nearly 12 years of, quote, denominational leadership, whatever that means now, I have become convinced that in our fallen sinful humanity, we create so much clutter and obstruction that causes us to ignore, forget, and if possible, even obstruct the real presence of Jesus Christ. There's a way in which we can think and perceive and do things that truly quenches the work of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that in this season of mission and ministry that the American Western Church now finds ourselves in is a question of how do we declutter? How do we take down the obstructions so that the Holy Spirit will work in a new and mighty and powerful way as God's Spirit has worked in previous generations of Christians throughout history? Jesus goes into the temple the week before his passion. And the temple's become a pretty corrupted place. You got a bunch of scam artists out front. I mean, this is long before the internet and phone calls and, you know. He goes in and you got a pretty corrupt commercial thing going on in the front of the temple. And Jesus loses it, and he starts turning over tables and chasing people out. Now, when I grew up hearing this passage preached from, sometimes all it did was focus on Jesus' anger. 
And it very quickly became a rationale for me getting angry. You know, if Jesus got angry, I could get angry too. But I got a confession. I trust Jesus being angry. I don't trust me being angry. I mean, if I get to the point where I'm turning over a table, I don't trust myself anymore, right? I mean, on a good day, I'm not sure how much I trust me. But when I look at Jesus and I see the incarnate Son of God clearing the clutter, clearing the obstruction, reforming the temple courts, I see a holy perfection that I can only bow before. And as I pray for the church and the local church and the whole body of Christ and my own soul, I ask that the very powerful presence of Christ take away the clutter and obstructions in my own heart that prevent me from receiving a fuller and deeper touch of Christ's spirit. The Gospel of Matthew puts a little different angle or nuance or take on Jesus' cleansing of the temple more so than Mark or Luke. If you read Mark and Luke, you see that the emphasis is on Jesus' teaching with authority. And that so offends the religious leaders of the day that the emphasis is on they plan to kill him. The plot to take Jesus' life begins. However, in Matthew's Gospel, the result of Jesus cleansing the temple and turning the tables over and driving out the merchants is that the blind and the lame come to Jesus to be healed. And it says that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the leaders of the a religious institution of the time are indignant because as people come to be healed by Jesus, it says he did many wonderful things, great things, miraculous things, and even the children were worshiping him. So in Matthew's gospel, there's a different, different angle in how Matthew is writing. So he emphasizes as when Jesus cleanses the temple, the Holy Spirit and the very presence of Jesus Christ causes people to be healed and people and down to the little children are worshiping Jesus. And the leaders, the religious leaders, are not angry over his authoritative teaching in Matthew. They're angry over the good things he has done and the worship that is being expressed to him. When I look at the church, I say to myself, so what's cluttering us up? There's so much that can obstruct and cause us to forget first things. And that first things is the dwelling of the resurrected Jesus Christ and the power of his spirit, not only in me as an individual, but in the local church, and in the whole body of Christ. Anybody sit through a process in the church called bylaws revisions? Who's done that? Uh, yeah, isn't that, a, isn't that a hoot? 
And, and when you revise church bylaws, you're like the general fighting the last war, right? You just take all the deficiencies from the past, and you're trying to correct them in what you're doing in the present, but a lot of time you're not giving any thought to the future. I have to tell you, I've always been a risk taker in ministry. I mean, I honestly, after 40 years of ministry, I'm still surprised I didn't get fired. I mean, I was always out on the edge doing something. And one of the moments when I thought I was going to get fired, I won't say I tipped the table over, but boy, I came pretty close. I must have violated like a page and a half of bylaws in the Sunday morning service. Now, please remember, Laurie and I, we had pastored a little church while we were in seminary for about three and a half years, came to First Baptist Lebanon, New Hampshire. It had 35 people. And people said, boy, you're our last chance. We're t yeah, I'm 28 years old, you know. They said, we voted last summer whether or not to close, so you're our last chance. And I'm like, oh, wonderful. My first church, I'm going to close it. No one's ever going to call me again. But God was great. God was great. We had some, there some incredible times of revival and renewal. And we were in one of those seasons of renewal and revival. And, and the church, no joke, had grown up to maybe 120 people. And we were, uh, I was in the baptismal tank one Sunday morning. I'm not saying this because you've got a baptismal plan, okay? This is all already here. I was, I was, we were, we had a baptismal going on, and it was like this, you know, you pull the thing up, and, and there's the baptismal tank with like 750 gallons of water, and I'm down in the tank, and we have, we have planned on baptizing four people, two men and two women, and the women have got the white robes on and the guys are in the black pants and the white shirts looking like Mormons, you know. And they're all coming down into the tank and, and I baptize them. And standing on my left is the chairman of the board of deacons and he's helping me lift people so I don't hurt my back again. That's another story. And, and Bob, this chair of the board of deacons, the Holy Spirit was really speaking to Bob. Because Bob was hearing God much more clear than I was. And Bob looks at me and he says, Pastor, God's not finished yet. And I knew exactly what Bob meant. I had never seen anybody do anything like this before. Now, I'm a native New Hampshireite. I mean, if I go back to my hometown, New Hampshire, there's like 10 or 11 generations in the same cemetery. I mean, my dad used to say to me in high school, before you ask a girl out, make sure she's not one of your cousins. And it was, a, it was not an idle warning. I'd never seen anybody do this in a New England church. But the Holy Spirit was just impressing Bob, and then the Holy Spirit was impressing me. And I looked over to our worship leader, Karen. I said, Karen, keep playing. And I looked out there, and there's like 120 people it was a day just like today. I said, I know that some of you came here this morning not planning to be baptized. But we've got plenty of towels and it's warm weather. If you've been touched by the witness of the four people that you've seen baptized this morning and confessed Christ as Lord and Savior, 
I'll invite you to come right down that center aisle in your street clothes right now if you want to make a public confession of faith in Christ and I'll baptize you. Now, you know what's going on in the tape in the back of my head? The bylaws say I'm supposed to take them through baptismal classes and I'm going to get my head on a platter at the next deacon's meeting. Oh, I'm in big trouble now. I'm going down on this one. But Bob's the chair of the Board of Deacons and the Holy Spirit spoke to Bob, so I know I got one ally when I get there. I looked out and I said, it was just set up just like your church here. I said, who wants to come down this center aisle and, and just either make a recommitment to Christ as your Lord and Savior or for the first time confess you're inviting him into your heart? This is New Hampshire. This isn't Texas. Nine people got up and came down the center aisle of that church and I baptized them in their street clothes. There was hardly a dry eye by the time that service ended. And I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, Dale, it's not going to be the same after this. And on that day, as a few more Sundays during that season, I felt a seismic change in the spiritual life of that congregation. And it was though God's presence was clearing the clutter and the obstructions and all the preoccupations out of the way so we could receive a new and fuller presence of God's Spirit. People ask me as I'm kind of winding down after 40 years of ministry, you know, I had my first church when I was 24. I tell people, I wouldn't have called me when I was 24. I'm not sure I'd have called me when I was 54. But after 40 years of ministry, people say, what do you think the future looks like? I think we are in a wonderful moment where God is sifting and clarifying the church of Jesus Christ in the Western world. I see a great wave of missionaries coming from the global south to America. The missionary force now is going to be reversed. I see a ministry that's going to be highly relational, highly laborious, highly starting at ground zero for people who can't even say the Lord's Prayer because they've never set foot in a church before. I've read some scholars who say there is no Sunday school memory. I mean, even if you met a person who hadn't set, church, set foot in church in 50 years, they had a memory that, oh yeah, grandma took me to Sunday school. I had a pastor tell me recently she went to a congregation that was kind of like hanging on by its fingernails, whether or not they were going to close. She said, I went in there and I was shocked because people could not tell me what the four Gospels were. In the culture in general, we have lost Christian memory to the place where it's non-existent on so many different things. 
to reach people for Jesus Christ now will be highly relational, highly labor-intensive, and it will be starting at a very flat, basic place. And I would even use an old phrase that I heard some years ago. There will be moments when pastors will be evangelizing existing congregations because the congregations themselves have lost Jesus Christ. I think of a tragic story from 1901 when the pastor from First Baptist Church in Los Angeles, California, an American Baptist church still, went to England because he heard about the Welch revivals. He wanted to go see the great Welch revivals. And he was so touched by the power of these Welch revivals, he came back home to First Baptist Los Angeles and said, let me tell you what I've experienced in Wales. Let me bring back, you'll like this one, let me bring back some of the new music that these revivals have produced. You know, like, immortal, invisible, God only wise was a hymn that was a product of the Welch revivals. And he came back just overflowing and wanting to share this with the First Baptist Church of Los Angeles. So the church fired him. So anybody who's got any inkling about church history, he didn't know what to do next. So he went down to a little storefront church to help out because he heard they were having a revival. So he went down to a place called Azusa Street, which kicked off one of the greatest revivals in American history. I look at my own life and I still ask myself the question, I, I became a Christian when I was nine years old which I guess means I've been a Christian now for almost 56 years. You know what happens when you've been a Christian for 56 years? Sometimes you just slap yourself in the head and you say, after all these years, I should have known better, thought better, done better. How did I miss so much along the way? And that's the place where the grace of God just hits you. How much clutter do I have in my own heart? How it obstructs the Holy Spirit from filling me? What obstructs me from knowing this power, this miraculous, this worshipful presence of Jesus Christ? Does God and Jesus Christ have to turn over the tables within my own soul and within the body of every local church that we might receive an outpouring of his spirit in this time and place. I want to close with just another story. Around uh, 1990, I had an invitation to go down to Gordon College for a four-day conference on church growth. Now, Tyler, you're not old enough to remember this, but there's a big thing back then called Fuller School of Church Growth. Probably some of that's still around. 
But we had this, this super big name, worldwide renowned scholar come to talk to us about how you go back home as a bunch of young pastors and, quote, grow a church. So at the end of four days and some denominational money that I'd spent, a brave soul in this group of about a hundred of us raised his hand. He said, Dr. Bugby, that was the scholar's name. His family was originally from White River Junction, Vermont, I learned. But anyways, he puts his hand up and he says to the professor, so what, what do we go home and do? What's the number one thing? And uh, Dr. Bugby stuck up front. He folded his arms. I've sat there and taken, you know, reams of notes for 44 days. He says, if I want you to go home. And if your church has a center aisle or if it has side aisles or whatever auditorium you're worshiping in, but especially if you have a center aisle, I want you to go home to your church, you young pastors, and the first thing you need to do if you want to see your church grow is you need to go in and get down on your face before God in the center aisle of that church and beg that God melt your hard heart and melt the hard hearts of everybody that walks through your doors. That's what you need to do. And I'm thinking, well, I spent four days and about $1,000, which wasn't my money, and the last thing I hear is really the only thing I remember. <laughs> Go home and get down on your face before God. Now, all honesty, there were some awkward moments between the custodian and myself. The custodian was great. Dennis would come in, look down the center aisle and say, oh, he's doing this again. <laughs> you okay? You have a bad committee meeting last night? <laughs> I probably faithfully got down on my face for three or four years before the Sunday morning when I said, Walk down the center aisle and I'll baptize you right now. And the presence of the Holy Spirit in that space was like the very air we were breathing. I look at myself, I look at the local church, I look at American Christendom. I just pray Jesus comes in to the temple of my soul, a church building, the body of Christ. And as only Jesus Christ can. Turn over the tables and cleanse us. So the mighty wave of your presence will fill us. And the power of who you are just unfolds. And I believe that's the future. I have no doubt that is the pathway of the future of the church of Jesus Christ in the time and place in which we live. Amen. Thank you.